Awesome. Well, hey, I wanna let you know right out, the, right out of the gate that we are gonna have fun, but I have been doing some homework this week on the supernatural, angels and demons specifically. This is gonna be one of those messages. If you've got something to take notes with, take them. There's a lot of notes we're gonna go through today, but we're gonna have some interactive stuff and it's gonna be a good time. Let me ask you this. Just think in your own mind as I ask this question. What do you believe about the supernatural, specifically regarding angels and demons? How often do you think about the reality of those two entities that we see and read about in scripture? Do they exist today? Do they exist at all? Is the Bible telling the truth about their existence back then? Is the Bible telling the truth about their existence today? Of course, we would believe as believers, yes, the Bible's telling the truth about the existence of angels and demons, and the truth is people are fascinated by the supernatural, fascinated by it, and oftentimes things in the world get mixed up with things in the Bible, and everything turns into make-believe, so we have this tendency sometimes to think it might be real, something might be out there, but I don't know the details, so I'm just gonna pretend like it doesn't exist. But I think most people know innately, deep down, something is behind the curtain. Something is beyond the third dimension. Something's there. A Gallup poll in 2021 said this, two-thirds of Americans believe in supernatural beings. Those in the, in the poll are angels, demons, and ghosts. Not gonna talk about ghosts today, maybe another sermon. But that's a 400% increase since 1975. A 400% increase. What's interesting is we are being told by powerful people and media organizations and the scientific world or whatever it might be in the world that people are believing less and less and less in the supernatural because we are becoming more and more and more intellectual. But the truth is, when you actually poll individual people, there's something going on in the world, I think it might be because we're seeing that the best answers that humans have aren't cutting it anymore. I think people are at a desperate place in their lives and they're wondering what's beyond this. Is there, is, is there a supernatural answer to our physical problems? The truth is this, angels and demons are very real. But sometimes as Christians, we pick and choose which supernatural things we're gonna believe in or focus on or um, understand or even research in scripture. And most of us, I'm guilty, most of us will live our lives rarely, if ever, thinking about what's going on in the supernatural all around us. The truth is this, the Bible is a supernatural story. It's a supernatural book from beginning to end. And the supernatural story, the Bible is the word of God. It is written, God's word has been spoken, it is done. But the supernatural story of God's people is still being written today. Everything is supernatural. And I think we have to go back sometimes and look at the Bible through a supernatural lens and not just a lens of what we see as humans. And I guarantee you, if you've read the Bible and you're like, ah, oh, you know, I, I still do some Bible studies here and there, my challenge to you is go back even today, this week, reread some of the most famous stories in scripture through a supernatural lens and watch the things that jump out that we have a tendency to just skip over that are written right as plain as day. Dr. Michael Heiser says this, seeing the Bible through the eyes of an ancient reader requires shedding the filters of our traditions and presumptions. 
They process life in supernatural terms. Today's Christian processes it by a mixture of creedal statements and modern rationalism. I think we need to be rational, but I think sometimes we need to think through a supernatural lens. What is a good working biblical definition of angels and demons? Here's, here's one that I found that I really, I really like. Supernatural beings, angels and demons are supernatural beings, more powerful than humans, but far less powerful than God. We'll get into the details underneath that definition, but what I wanna say today is they are real, they are supernatural, At different times in human history, they have stepped into the natural and people have seen angels with their natural eyes, but they are there. Right now, they are more powerful than us, but they are not gods, cannot be worshiped as gods, and they are not near as powerful as God. So let's start with angels. Is this an interesting subject to you guys? All right, I just wanna make sure. You got your notes out, here we go. We're gonna just kind of steamroll through this. Here's some interesting things about angels. Angels are mentioned 273 times in scripture. I would say that's a pretty important topic if something very specifically is mentioned 273 times. Angels are created beings. They're an entirely separate type of creature than humans. They are not human. They're a completely different type of creature. The Bible even uses that word in the original language, creature, as distinguishing them from humans. Here's another one that we've gotta get theologically right. People do not become angels after we die. I know it's kind of a popular sentiment and people kind of throw this out on social media or even at funerals and I'm not the guy that like corrects people theologically in every single moment, but I do wanna say this. It is not theologically accurate whatsoever for to, to believe that people become angels because like I just said, angels and humans are two entirely different creatures, entirely different creatures. Humans, when we die, if we are in Christ, we are with Christ and we will resurrect with Christ. We will be humans with a resurrected body forever, a perfected resurrected body. Another interesting fact is people will unknowingly interact with angels during their lifetime. This is one of the most fascinating parts of scripture and I'll I'll read the scripture first before I talk about it. Hebrews 13, two says, and show hospitality to strangers for they may be angels from God showing up as your guests. Gosh, I remember when someone read this when I was a little kid, and I was so fascinated by this. I started thinking about all the people in these weird situations. Do you ever just have weird encounters sometimes? And you walk away from that encounter, and you're like, is that the strangest human being I've ever met? Or could this be one of those times where I'm entertaining an angel? Has someone ever irritated you so bad and you're, you know, you're reacting poorly to it, and then you walk away, and you're like, God, I really hope that wasn't one of those times where I was entertaining an angel, and, and you're judging me or something. You know, like, but, but Scripture says there will be times in our lives, it's the Bible, it's not me, that we will entertain, host angels, and not even be aware of it. Another interesting thing is this. Angels are not to be worshiped. We are not supposed to worship them. They are not gods. We don't pray to angels. We do not worship angels, they are not God. Revelation 22.9 says, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me, but he said, no, don't worship me, I am a servant of God, just like you and your brothers, the prophets, as well as all who obey what is written in this book. Worship only God. 
Worship only God. Um, for the next few minutes, I wanna go through some biblical roles of angels, and I think this will help kind of furthering the definition of who they are and what their roles are in our lives based on scripture. The first biblical role of an angel is to be a messenger. Angels are messengers. Angels weren't just messengers in scripture. This is what I want us to remember. The Bible isn't just a story about what happened. It's the story of God's people while we live in human history. Angels weren't just messengers back then, they can be messengers today. The word angel in the original language literally translates into messenger or one who brings a message. One of the most famous, famous examples of this in scripture is when Gabriel visits Mary to tell her that she will give birth, become pregnant and give birth to the Messiah. Luke 1, 26 says, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary, Gabriel appeared to her and said, and it goes on and he tells her the whole story of what's about to happen. He appears to her and brings her a message. They're, they're messengers from God. They, they're on God's payroll. They, they work for God. The second biblical role for angels is that they're protectors. They're protectors. About three weeks ago, um, every Sunday morning, I get here very, very, very early, pretty much the middle of the night, and about five o'clock, I was like, I was falling asleep, uh, studying my office, <clears throat> and I thought, okay, I need a little bit more Holy Spirit and some espresso, so I left and drove to this Starbucks right over here on Eubank and Central. And so as I was on Eubank driving south, about to cross Central, I was stopped at a red light, and I was the only one at the intersection, and there was a man that was panhandling and had a sign um, up, and I didn't read the sign at that time, but I was sitting at the red light, and I'm one of those guys at a red light where like, I mean, I'm looking at the other light, yellow, red, revving my engine, like I'm in a race at 5 a.m. in the morning. I, I have problems. So I'm there, I'm, pace, I'm watching all this stuff because every second matters, right? And I'm about to take off, and at the last second, I look at this man, and he's looking straight at me, staring right into my eyes, and he just does this, like wait. And I could not understand, I, I looked at him, I knew for a fact, it was just, hold on. And I'm looking at him, and the light turns green, and I pause for one second, and then start going, and a car probably going 90 to 100 miles per hour goes right through the intersection and flies through, and I started shaking, trembling. You ever had a moment like that? Trembling, and thinking, if I would have gone through that light, I would have been T-boned and probably wouldn't have made it. And I stop, and I immediately look around. The guy's gone. Cannot see him. I don't know for sure if it was an angel. I'm not writing a book called My Encounter with an Angel or anything. <laughs> I don't know. But man, it could be. And that's what's so cool about this. When we understand that everything is supernatural, there are times in your life where God will send angels of protection, and it's our job to pay attention. Psalm 91.11 says, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. In the story of Daniel, there's that famous story, Daniel in the lion's den. God sent an angel to protect Daniel while he was in there all night with the lions. Uh, Daniel 6.22 says, God sent his angel and shut the mouths of the lions. Shut the mouths of the lions. There might be times in our lives where the mouths of lions may be talking about us, spreading lies about us, need to be shut. And this is a prayer I've prayed many times, not to an angel, but to God. God sent an angel. Shut the mouths of lions. The third role of angels we see in scripture is that they're worshipers. 
their worshipers. This is a huge role that we see in heaven and every image we have of the throne room of God and, and the heavenly hosts they're worshiping. God gave Isaiah a vision of the throne room of heaven and Isaiah recounts that vision and he says this in verse three of Isaiah six. Isaiah caught a glimpse of this when he wrote that one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his Glory. As Isaiah is writing about this, he's standing in this massive throne room. His eyes can't even see the end of it. And God is so big, and there are these gigantic angels with wings. And in, as they are moving their wings in and out, they are singing and yelling and proclaiming, holy, holy, holy. And the, the threshold of the temple is shaking as Isaiah is in there. And the point of the vision is to remind Isaiah of the bigness, the vastness of God and how little we are in light of who God is, but he, in his vision, he sees angels worshiping. They're really a, a, a metaphor, a vision, maybe, maybe an image of what we're supposed to be doing because they are worshiping God like, God like we're supposed to. The fourth role of angels is that they're warriors. There are so many crazy, awesome stories in scripture of warring angels and, and coming down and partnering with mankind or going to war with other fallen angels. But an example of, of an angel coming down and siding with God's people is found in 2 Kings 19.35. And it says this, one night the angel of the Lord went out to the Assyrian camp and killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. When the surviving Assyrians woke up the next morning, they found corpses everywhere. I don't know about you, but this doesn't really fit the whole hallmark image of chubby babies with wings being angels. You're not gonna find this picture at Kirkland's, right? <coughs> so you're like, what's Kirkland's? I don't know, we used to go there when I was little. Okay, so chubby babies with little wings and you know, the, the blush on their cheeks, that's not that type of angel. There are angels that have descended on assignment from God to go to war on behalf of God's people. Good news for you, if you're a believer, you are God's people. And he will send his angels to go to war on our behalf. When I was little, I remember my, when my dad would pray for us, there'd be different parts of prayers, but one of the things he would consistently pray is, God, send your warring angels to protect my sons. When I was little, I was like, a warring angel? I don't even know what that is, kind of like giggle at it. But as you get older, you have your own kids, you see what's going on in society, you understand the meaning and how precious it is for God and how meaningful it is for God to send warring angels on our behalf. Angels go to war for God, but on assignment from God, they go to war for you. They partner with God, they work for God. But there are also angels that at multiple times we see in the Old Testament and different seasons rebelled against God. And what we find in scripture is that angels and demons aren't different creatures. They are the same creature with different decisions, morals, and functions based on choosing loyalty to God or rebellion to God. It's not that angels are beautiful, God created angels beautiful and demons hideous, the hideousness that we see in pop culture and paintings comes from more of their function than how God even initially created them. And if we're gonna talk about demons for the next few minutes, I think we need to start with talking about the chief demon being Satan. Oftentimes, one of the biggest misconceptions about Satan is that there's God and his arch enemy is Satan, like they're equals, but they are far, far from equal. Satan was created by God, initially an angel, one of the ruling angels in heaven. 
through his decision and the ability for them to decide that was gifted by God, he chose rebellion to God and fell from heaven. But Satan is not a God, he is a demon. He is an angel that fell from heaven and he is the chief ruler, demon of this earth. What I'll show you in a few minutes in scripture, but Revelation 12 um, recounts when he fell from heaven and it says this in verse eight, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So that great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. He was cast to the earth and allowed limited dominion and rulership over the earth. He was granted and allowed by God an element limited rulership over the earth. And that's validated. I wanna give you a couple examples. Second Corinthians 4.4 says, the God, lowercase g, God, it's not calling him a God, but he's calling him a supernatural being. That's why it's lowercase g. The God who rules this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Paul, the apostle Paul even says, Satan rules this world and he has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Even Jesus acknowledges a certain element of Satan's rulership over this earth allowed by God for a season. Jesus is being tempted by Satan in the wilderness in Luke 4, 5 through 7. It says, then the devil took Jesus and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in an instant. The devil said to Jesus, I will give you all these kingdoms and all their power and glory. It has all been given to me and I can give it to anyone I wish. If you worship me, then it will all be yours. What you see as in the next few lines in scriptures, what you don't see is Jesus correcting him. Jesus was withstanding temptation based off of a very real offer from Satan. Jesus is God, but in order to go to the cross as the perfect sacrifice, he also had to become fully man. And in this season, Satan was granted rulership over the earth. Jesus withstands the temptation and goes on to a powerful ministry for the next three years. So demons, and all that applies, well, we'll get to in a couple seconds, but demons are fallen angels who have rebelled against God, constantly looking for people and or places to inhabit. People and geographic locations. Uh, what I wanna talk about for the next few minutes, I find very, very, very fascinating about demons. I'm gonna talk little about demon possession. If you guys were coming for me to explain the exorcist and all that, I'm, I'm not doing that. But it's real and I'm gonna talk about it in a second. But if you'll really kind of lean in and pay attention for the next few minutes, my hope is that you might see spiritual warfare from a different angle and understand that we are not pawns in a cosmic supernatural war. We are actually chosen by God to win the war. Okay, so demons are responsible for a few things. They're responsible for number one, they can be responsible for physical disease. They are not responsible for all physical disease because we just live in a sin-cursed world that is decaying. But they can be, and I'll show you in scripture. Matthew 9, 32 through 33, after they had gone away, a demoniac who was mute was brought to him, Jesus, and when the demon had been cast out, the one who had been mute spoke, and the crowds were amazed. Matthew 12, 22. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. In these cases and multiple other cases in scripture, 
When someone was demon-possessed or even demon-oppressed, it caused physical disease. Now, I wanna tell you this. There are some misconceptions about demon possession. I, I have had believers over the years. I was a youth pastor for a long time, and I had teenagers come and ask me, like, I'm, I'm just having nightmares every night because I'm afraid that I'm gonna become demon-possessed. And, I, and I, I said, well, are you a Christian? Have you invited Christ into your life? I'm like, well, yeah. I'm like, hey, there, there's only room for one supernatural entity in the temple of the Holy Spirit, and that is the Holy Spirit. Because once we receive Christ as our Savior, we are the temple of God, and Satan cannot cast God out from where God inhabits. You guys with me on that? So demon possession is not something, yeah, you can clap to that. Demon possession is not something to be afraid of as a believer, because it's, it's literally impossible but demons will still try to inflict as much pain as possible on believers and non-believers. Number two, demons can also be responsible for, can be responsible for mental illness. Again, I'm not even saying most of the time. I don't know. I just know it's possible because we see it in scripture multiple times. One example, Mark 5, four through five, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. I'll tell you this. Do I believe that mental illness can be absolutely real physically? 100%. I believe that. But I also know one of the main objectives of demons and the demonic in scripture is to bring about darkness, hopelessness, and suicide because the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So what we can't do is think everything is spiritual, but we also can't think everything is physical. Most things that when we approach in life, the call from scripture is to acknowledge that, yes, everything is spiritual, but we do live in a physical world, and most of the time these solutions come in tandem, being wise in the physical, but depending on the supernatural. Number three, Demons can be responsible for moral impurity. Demons are instrumental in leading both the saved and the unsaved into moral compromise through temptation, through oppression, through pushing and providing opportunities to jump at things, to do things. They're pushing impurity and immorality. One of the most common used names for demons in the New Testament is an unclean spirit. The term unclean spirit. Mark 1.27 says, People were talking about Jesus and they said, he even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. Now, I wanna say this. I think, I think we're crazy if we look at everything going on in the world right now and think this is just the natural byproduct of just humans. I think when we look at everything going on in the world with the darkness, hopelessness, Gen Z struggling with depression and anxiety at levels no generation has struggled, we look at everything, the deterioration of societies and civilizations and everything going on, I think we're crazy if we don't stop and think that a lot of this immorality and impurity is caused by the demonic. Far more things are pushed by the demonic than we even want to say, but the problem is if we say that, we're looked at like we're crazy. I believe that's demonic. If I, if I were to say that, like, oh, I think that's demonic. Can you imagine me going on Facebook and just being like, this is demonic, all these things are demonic, demonic, demonic. I've said it before, but it's, I mean, I'll, I'm not afraid of it. But if we just say demonic, demonic, demonic to everything, people are gonna look at us like we're crazy because people have become so, even believers have become so rational and physical, we've forgotten that we're just in the third dimension and a whole fourth dimension is around us. Have you even stopped to think about so far today what is happening in this room in the supernatural right now? 
people that are on the verge of maybe giving their life to Christ, maybe on the verge of walking away from God, on the verge of taking their own life, on the verge of divorce, on the verge of all of these different things, hopelessness and depression, the fear that is running rampant, the anxiety. You think all of that's physical? There's a war going on right now. Right now in this room, there's a war going on. The fourth role of demons can be producing false doctrine. Number four, false doctrine. I believe this is also a huge, huge, huge part of the end times and where all this is headed. First Timothy 4.1 says, the Holy Spirit has explicitly revealed at the end of this age, many will depart from the true faith, one after another, devoting themselves to spirits of deception and following demon-inspired revelations and theories. It's right there in front of us. In the New Testament, in 1 Timothy, it's saying what's happening right now with all of this twisting and counterfeiting God's doctrine, his solution for sexuality and purity and what we're supposed to be doing in our lives and the lines that God produced and the boundaries he has in our lives, all the counterfeiting and all of these different things, it's demonic. It's the twisting of scripture it's the spirit of deception and it's demon inspired. In the New Testament, Paul, the Apostle Paul, talked so much about the supernatural. He explicitly said, Our fight is not against flesh and blood. Ephesians 6, 11 through 12 says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Most oftentimes, we'll stop reading where it says, or somebody will stop preaching or talking when it says our fight is not against flesh and blood, and then they'll kind of mumble the rest. It's against the darkness, the princes, because we don't understand what he's saying right here. Darkness, authorities, rulers, principalities, we don't, we don't understand. And I didn't for the longest time. What is the apostle Paul saying? What he's saying is everywhere that he went to spread the gospel, whether it was Corinth or Rome or Ephesus or Galatia, he knew the fight he was about to go through was not against humans. There was no Caesar, no emperor, no king, no earthly prince that could come against God. The war was against the darkness. There were principalities and rulers of darkness that were coming against him. But who are these rulers, authorities, and principalities? Really quickly, I did a lot deeper dive in this in a, in a series I did this summer um, in, in a series called To the Church Of. And one of those weeks was to the church of Ephesus. So what I'm about to put on the screens, I'm going through very quickly, but I went way more in depth in that sermon if you wanna look at it. I'm gonna explain what these are, and then we're gonna go into where they originated. The first one is rulers. What are rulers? The most powerful demons with the highest rank. Authorities. Powerful demons or fallen angels with delegated authority. What are the powers over this present darkness? Demons with specific assignment for specific individuals or specific geographic locations. That's important. I'm gonna hit on that. And the fourth one is spiritual forces. These are like special forces in our military. All of these terms are military terms, and Paul was very intentional in doing that. Special forces with unique special skill sets to battle humans with unique special callings and assignments. This is why when you finally get clarity from God on something, finally like, all right, I got my call from God. I'm finally, I'm ready to go. You realize that's just the beginning of the fight because someone's on special assignment to hold you back from doing what God's called you to do. So where did all this begin? With my remaining time, where, I wanna talk about where all this began. 
Why is there spiritual warfare? Are we just pawns in a cosmic chess game? What's happening? Why is there spiritual warfare? Why are they mad? What's happening? How did all of this begin? You go back to the Old Testament, there's multiple times in the Old Testament where you will see different seasons, or mainly three times, where there are angelic rebellions that happen early on in the Old Testament that we see. One of those rebellions, and what you see is why they rebel is this, simply this. Why fallen angels are rebelling is because God, the reason why he had all of creation, why he created us, is to expand his family and to create children of God in his own image. When he announced that that was what he was going to do, the main reason for rebellion is that there are some angels who did not like the idea of God expanding his family and creating new creatures called humans that would be made in his likeness that he would cherish and one day call his children. And one day in eternity, God said we will even rule over angels. There were angels that didn't like that and they began to rebel. One of those rebellions was around the time of the Tower of Babel. Now, as I'm going through this, I want you to remember that passage from Ephesians, rulers, authorities, principalities. Galatians 11:4. if you don't know the story of Babel, mankind was unified in language, but they were also unified in wanting to rebel against God. There was one group, one nation, and so they were building this tower to get to God to try to prove that they could be like God. In 11:4, Genesis 11:4, it says, and they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top reaches the heavens. But God didn't like this, and in Genesis 11, six through seven, and verse nine, it says, and Yahweh, who is God, said, come let us go down there and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. Therefore, its name was called Babel. At this point in history is when God separated mankind for the very first time, this is important, into separate nations, giving each nation different languages. This is the origin of, of all of that, okay? Now, we, some of us know that story, but what we don't know is a less familiar version of this story in Deuteronomy just a couple books later. It says this in verse eight of Deuteronomy 32. When the Most High apportioned the nations, so at the time when God apportioned the nations, at his dividing up of the sons of humankind, he fixed the boundaries of the peoples according to the sons of God. For Yahweh's portion was his people, Jacob, the share of his inheritance, or Israel. This is super, super important. <clears throat> I want you to look at this. According to, dividing up the sons of humankind, he fixed the boundaries of the peoples according to the sons of God. There are two groups of people that God is talking to and about. So he's saying we're separating the sons of humankind and we're going to apportion them and separate them according to the sons of God, meaning, meaning, when you tie this to the book, also to the passage in the book of Genesis, when it says he apportioned them according to the sons of God, he is assigning rulership, he is assigning leadership, protection, rulers, principalities, and authorities over the nations not assigning them to be worshiped as God, but as protectors of those regions. So at this time, God says, we're gonna separate the people and I'm gonna assign my ruling council of angels, which we also saw in Genesis 11 and multiple times in Psalm 82. I'm gonna assign my ruling angels to those regions and they will be rulers and principalities of that area. But what ended up happening is that those rulers, when you keep reading the story, mankind, 
because these rulers could be fourth dimensional and three. I know this sounds, this, but it's supernatural. These rulers, these angels can step into mankind and be seen. These different regions started worshiping these angels as their gods, and the angels, many of them liked it and rebelled against God. Psalm 82, one through two says, God has taken his place in the divine assembly in the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. He's not calling them gods, but he's calling them what mankind has called them. Gods, he upholds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly? How long will you rule unjustly and show favoritism to the wicked? So he's getting on to these rulers that he assigned. Psalm 82, six through seven, I said, you are gods and all of you are sons of the most high. Nevertheless, you will die like men, pointing to the end times, and fall like one of the princes. Specifically in the original wording, he's talking about Satan. Because of your rebellion, because you ruled unjustly, you're going to fall now like the prince of darkness, Satan. Some of these authorities that were assigned initially by God rebelled against God and craved the worship of men. Many theologians, many, many theologians, most in fact believe that this is the origin of ancient religions, all the ancient religions in the Middle East. Almost every, this is just an interesting thing. Almost every ancient religion in that area, the beginning of their religion had to do with gods, quote unquote gods, descending from the sky to watch over them. And then they ended up being worshiped. I think it's just fascinating. So now, when you understand the Old Testament, when you read the New Testament in context, you see when the Apostle Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus, saying your fight isn't against flesh and blood, there's a reason he uses such specific wording. I'm gonna read it again. Your fight is not against, in verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus saying, the principalities and rulers of old are definitely still at play. And they have these nations on lockdown. And it's our job as believers to go into those territories that are on lockdown break down the spiritual walls and bring restoration and reconciliation to a world that is dying because it is being ruled in rebellion. Is this starting to make sense? I just think all of this is unbelievably fascinating. But then you have the story of Jesus, and I'm, I'm done-ish. <laughs> I wish I had two hours. I, I love this. Anybody else just love this stuff? You wanna come back like on Wednesday night and I'll just talk? No, just <laughs> So this is what's interesting. You have Jesus that comes, lives a perfect life, and he lives his perfect life and he dies. Since Satan is the temporary ruler of this earth, what he's actually the ruler of, the only thing he has real dominion and ownership of is death, the death of humans, because that's when, up until Jesus, he had the eternal grasp on humans. That was the one thing he could say, you know, he could just stick it to God with, that he, he owned death. But then Jesus comes, dies, and then Satan's like, see, now I even owe your, quote unquote, talking to God, son of God, your son. But what Satan could not have known is that Jesus would not stay dead. He came back to life. And what I love so much about the resurrection is it's, yes, something for us to celebrate. It's everything we've ever talked about, but it's also 
just this like punch in the gut to Satan. And you can picture Jesus with this smirk because the one thing Satan had, Jesus said, you can't even have that. I'm taking it back because now all those who call on my name will never die. They will live forever with me. You're the owner of nothing. You have nothing, Satan. You're the owner of nothing. But spiritual warfare is still real because we aren't in eternity yet and Jesus has not returned yet. But now after the resurrection, we are a part of restoring what was lost in Eden. We are rebuilding and reconciling the world and we are taking the Holy Spirit to the nations that were separated and taken, quote unquote taken, tried to be taken from God. It makes the Great Commission so much more powerful. Matthew 28, 19, Jesus is ascending and he says, therefore go and make disciples of what? All nations. When were the nations formed? At Babel. The nations that have been on lockdown. The nations that have been quote unquote owned by the enemy, by these rulers, authorities, and principalities. Now, because of the resurrected Jesus and by him sending his Holy Spirit, he says, but you will receive power in Acts 1 when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What Jesus is saying is now because I'm resurrected, I took back death. And now because I'm resurrected, I'm sending you the Holy Spirit who is not just another spirit. He is the spirit of the living God. So now in us, we have the spirit of the living God called to go out to the nations and take back what was stolen. Spiritual walls have been built up all over this world. Spiritual walls are built up in this city. As I was writing this sermon this week, I called my wife, I annoyed people to death because I was so excited about all this stuff because it makes spiritual warfare make sense. We aren't pawns in the spiritual warfare game. God says, you're so beloved that I'm putting my Holy Spirit not in an angel, I'm putting my Holy Spirit in you. You are the solution. You go into the world. We're the ones that make things right through the power of Jesus, empowered by his Holy Spirit. We take it back. What I'm so excited about and why I'm not afraid of this is it's so daunting looking at our own city, our own nation coming up on election season. I mean, elections matter for sure, vote. But let me tell you, there's only one real solution. There's only one ultimate solution and knowing it's a spiritual solution, I can walk out into our city, into our nation and look around and say, I'm not fighting against flesh and blood. I'm not fighting against, there is a, there is our rulers and authorities and principalities that have had this on lockdown for centuries. And today we understand now, he that is in me, that is, is greater than he that is in the world. First John 4, 4, but you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in this world. You're the solution. You're the solution. All through the Old Testament, you'll see, I skipped some things for the sake of time. All through the Old Testament, you will see principalities of darkness assigned to different regions. But what I'm so thankful now is although there are dark principalities, there are also protecting, loving, guardian principalities. But I also love that what God put in us is so powerful We've already won. We've already won. I wanna pray over you today and I want us to take out of here a new spiritual perspective on life, 
on raising our kids, teaching our kids what spiritual warfare looks like. We don't have to be afraid of demons, afraid of all of this stuff. The power that's in me is so much greater than the power of any demon that can come against me. Just speak the name of Jesus. I've said this to people before. Sometimes the most powerful prayer you can ever pray is one word, Jesus, and all of hell will tremble. I wanna pray over you today that God would strengthen you, inspire you, and also encourage you to jump into scripture and study this. You will always be better off knowing more about the war that we are already fighting and waged in. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for today. God, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die for us on a cross. Jesus, you came and died as me and for me. My sin should have put me on that cross. I'm guilty of sin. But you came out of love for us, love for me. You died a death I deserved to give me eternal life that I don't deserve. So Jesus, even in this moment, many of us, even under our breath, are doing what scripture says and calling you by name and believing in our hearts that you're raised from the dead. Jesus, you're our Lord. I believe you're our savior. I believe you died on the cross for me. Come into my life, transform me, recreate me. Jesus, I surrender my life to you today. And God, I pray for protection over every person here, a faith, a boldness, and a confidence to understand exactly what 1 John said. He that is in me is greater than he that is in the world. We thank you, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen.